Hello there. At last we will reveal ourselves to the Jedi. At last we will have revenge. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shadowpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I'm joined by my co-host, Aman Kusro. How are you doing today, Aman? I'm doing well, man. Been riding a gaming high for the last couple weeks. As some of you may or may not be aware, I attended the Warhammer World Championships earlier in November. It was from November 15th to the 19th, and it was held in Atlanta, and there were over 650 people there. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Over 354 competitive events. And so it was an invite-only event. You had to qualify by doing very well in a large event or winning it. So I ended up winning Adepticon earlier this year for Warhammer Underworlds. I got a golden ticket, which paid for my flight and my hotel. And I competed in the World Championship. And I ended up winning the whole damn thing. So there it is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super excited. I'm super lucky. I'm super grateful. And, you know, it's very hard, I think, to be the definitive, like, best at any one game, you know, Mm -hmm. nature of tabletop gaming. Even Longshanks is not an accurate source. I mean, it helps. But at the end of the day, how do you prove that you're the best? You can't. But the World Championships gave me a platform which allowed me to be the best for at least one year, to be a reigning champ, right? In theory. Not in theory. In practice, you did it. So... That's right. So for five and a half years, that's something I wanted. I never knew how to attain it. And so, no, yeah, I'm the first ever Warhammer Underworlds world champion. And I made history and I'm very grateful and very lucky. And I got this really cool trophy made by Men at Arms, those famous smiths on YouTube. So I don't know how I got it back through customs, but actually it's a really funny story. I get pulled over by TSA to the side and they inspect my bag. And for those of you who are having a hard time visualizing the trophy. It's like solid metal. It's a square with the Warhammer logo in the middle. It says Warhammer and then, you know, Underworld's champion for 2023. And some guy pulls it out and I was like, hey, you know, it's probably my trophy. I understand that it's metal, so it probably shows up really bright on your screen. He goes, exactly. He looks at it and he's like, is this Warhammer? And I go, yeah, yeah, it's Warhammer. (laughs) He's like, sick, man. What army do you play? And I was like, oh, you know, it's not the 40,000, but I play a smaller skirmish version of the game and I'm pretty much running these like three Stormcast wizards. And he was like, oh, I know what Stormcast are. Sick, dude. He's like, my roommate plays this. I was like, dude, you should play it too. He was like, sick, bro. Have a safe flight. I was like, dude, hell yeah. I love that. We made it. (laughs) It's so funny traveling to these premiere events with all your stuff, right? There it is. Haman's got it. Yeah. I'm seeing it on camera. Beautiful solid metal it's it's super fun traveling from these events and you know i got stopped on the way back from denmark my marvel minis you know and in my metal case and i'm looking taking a look at them and they're like what is happening here you know and um it all makes sense quickly when they take it out you know <laughs> but before then they're probably really perplexed looking at the computer screen right yeah i think pre-covid it was very alarming to them but oh, i think yeah. it, since then i think it's become more common but you're absolutely right that Every once in a while, I get these really weird looks and questions and stuff. I love it. We have a a champion in our midst today, and now we got to shift gears to Shatterpoint and talk about how to win Sabotage Showdown, which we're going to talk about today a lot, but less about how to win and more 
the tenets of Sabotage Showdown. Amon and I didn't want to like just the second we got on our hands, read you all the stats, talk about all the shapes, and then just give our thoughts. We want to actually like on the ground work. And we've been working on this mission. We've been playing a ton of it. Not only we've been playing a ton of it, but we've been playing a ton of it with different primaries, you know, and different like squad configurations and matchups. So we're hoping we can bring a lot of that today to you as a listener. And hopefully this could be a resource to get other people into the game or help other people understand Sabotage Showdown, right, Amon? Absolutely correct. We definitely wanted to do our due diligence with this mission. And similar to some of our rules episodes in the past, namely the Shatterpoint Holocron, which was, I believe, episode two. We want this to be a resource for anyone who may be curious about the mission or perhaps maybe even a year from now is like, oh, I'm getting into Shatterpoint. I want to learn about the missions. Listen to this episode and get a basic understanding of what it is, how it functions, how it's different from shifting priorities, and maybe what are some strategies or tenets that you can follow to find success. Absolutely. But before we do that, we have some people to mention today that are very important to us. Hello there is affiliated with Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site. You can use the code hello there 5 to get 5% off his Shatterpoint product and other product and trays on his store. We're also affiliated with Imperial Terrain, the premier source for all Star Wars tabletop terrain. You can use the code hello there 5 that's all lowercase with the number 5 for 5% off all digital products. Yeah, perfect time to get some stuff during the holidays. And of course, our show cannot function without our patrons. We are supported by the wonderful people at patreon.com slash lowthercast. If you enjoy this show, you think it brings value to your life and you want to join our private Discord community, check out our Patreon tiers there. You get a lot of extra benefits. Uh, not only you get in the Discord, but you get bonus feed episodes of the podcast. And it is the most direct way to support us other than listening to the show, right? So if, if that's something that's important to you, and Amon and I have some big plans for this year. You'd be directly contributing to that. And we have some patrons to shout out. Absolutely. We have two new patrons who have joined at the Padawan and Acolyte tier. Huge shout out goes to James and Godliness, who is actually a good friend of mine, Duncan. And of course, we can out of the show without our producers. We have to thank Bounty Under Brady and our ultimate producers, Sith Emperor Kevin, Grandmaster Griffin, and Daimyo Matt. Thank you guys so much. Absolutely. Shout out to the boys. And of course, speaking of Damio Matt, I want to give a huge shout out to our patrons who showed out to PAX Unplugged in Force. That's right. Out of the top four that ranked on the day when the event ended, three of them were Hello There patrons, which was amazing. Oh, and there's an added layer to that too, Amon. Not only are they Hello There patrons, but they're active, powerful players that participate in the Hello There leagues, which of course you get access to through the Patreon. And what do you know? They always do really well in the whole of their leagues. They do. They're often in our top eight, often making cuts. I expect them to make cuts this time as well after five rounds. But quick shout out goes to, in order, Evil Houdini, Damio Matt, and Nick A for getting fourth. So one, two, and four out of the top four is amazing. One of them doing it with Republic. So hello there, represent. That's right. Very proud and very happy. And of course, congratulations to those players and those patrons. Very, very good job. Absolutely. All right, Amon, let's get into this main topic today of the new objective set, Sabotage Showdown. Where do you want to start? I think what would be helpful is to start with the whole basic concept of objectives and how they are 
formulated into a player's game plan and how you may or may not be forced to play a mission that maybe you don't have in your list. So starting out, when creating a list or a roster, whether it's for Premiere or not, whenever you're putting together a list or of strike teams, you have to select a mission. So prior to the release of Sabotage Showdown, you didn't have to do that because there was only shifting priorities, which has aged very well and still a great way to play the game. However, now you do have to make a choice, which is very interesting because it adds an additional layer to your strike team building. And we'll talk about what strike teams and what strategies we find to be the most useful towards the end of the episode. But as a whole, you pick your teams, whether it's for Premiere or the standard format, Showdown, and then you pick your mission. Now, what happens? So let's say Jesse and I roll up to a game. Jesse has shifting priorities in his mission pack for his list. I have Sabotage Showdown. We roll off. I get priority. Now, this is good and bad for a couple of reasons uh, without getting too deep into it. Yeah. Generally, in Star Wars Shatterpoint, you do want to go second because that's when scoring starts and the onus goes on player one to bring it back to neutral or try to break that tie and swing it in their favor. However, now that there is an additional additional mission layer added to the whole mix, it makes winning priority less feels bad and actually more interesting when it comes to list design and how to maybe position against a list that maybe you may or may not feel comfortable against or maybe deny what your opponent's trying to do. So let's say I win the roll-off, I get to pick the mission, and I get to pick the map side, which is really cool. So I play Sabotage Showdown because that's my mission that I've elected to put in my list. Jesse is now forced to play Sabotage Showdown, even though his strategy may or may not have relied on shifting priorities. Then we get to pick the map. I place my fighters first, and then we begin the game. So that's the, I guess, beginning basics and essentials. What are some questions or comments that you have, Jesse? No, I agree with this completely. I also want to add to the layer you mentioned of choice now of objective when you make your roster but additionally now when you plop down at the table that's another layer in the game that fully matters that didn't matter before right it just didn't matter before before you built your list and you we were all playing the same objective but now that's part of the mix not only do you have to obviously play to the strengths of the objective you choose but you have to have a plan for the other objectives. And I'm saying other because I'm assuming AMG is dropping a third objective at some point in the future. Keeping this as future-proof as possible, this discussion is kind of framed around that as well. I actually think shifting priorities and Sabotage Showdown are pretty different, which is very exciting. But presumably, if they add more in the future, you've got to have that plan too, right? So all that's to say, the game is more balanced now, right? Like The role actually matters, as Amon said. And even when you ro- lose the roll-off, or win the roll-off, you could actually actively choose your opponent's deck as well. And I I think we kind of alluded to that, but it's like, I know you're probably going to probably choose your deck every time, but you could presumably, you could actually, I could actually choose your deck if I wanted to, Amon. That's correct. And then we never had that layer either. We haven't. Now, I do think there's a missed opportunity here because you do have to pick your squads prior to first player being determined. A little less strategic. So, unfortunately, the concept still incentivizes the player that picks the most general list or the jack of all trades that can perhaps perform optimally or great on both rather than better on one or the other. So I feel like that is a missed opportunity in terms of 
what could have been more strategy, but I do appreciate the simplicity and the nature of it all because at the end of the day, maybe my intention was to play Sabotage Showdown, but after seeing what Jesse has picked and what I've picked, maybe I'm thinking, you know what? Maybe shifting priorities is the better option for me. I like that a lot. Also, too, add the layer of the premier format to this, Amon, Mm. where it's like, oh, I'm three rounds in, but I've actually only played two or three of my primaries. I haven't played that fourth primary yet. Maybe I do want to choose the opposing player's deck because Lumi is just better on that shape, right? And I haven't played her yet, right? So there's a lot of layers to this that are not necessarily apparent to us in this very moment, but we're all going to grow together and we're all going to continue to learn. I'm just saying, keep these concepts in your mind, not only not only as we talk today, but as you play your games and as you kind of like sit down and choose the objectives and you choose your primaries, if you're playing premier format, that is, and yeah, let's just examine it through this lens. But I think the next place we could go to them on, which make a lot of sense is the objectives and where they're set up on the map when they're inactive, right? Which is the initial state when we're deploying our models and maybe how that differs from shifting priorities, which is that nine spot grid we're so used to at this point. Yeah, that's a good question because it does certainly affect the way that you want to deploy. Generally, when it comes to shifting priorities, there is air quotes here, an optimal setup where you have your primaries on each side directly in between the left objective and the middle objective, and then the middle objective with the right bottom objective so that you can have your units contesting all three and the middle objective in theory by two separate units. So in case you have to move a unit based on your order deck draw, you can still contest some of these points in the early game. That changes a little bit, but I think it's important to talk about the map layout. So I've taken the time to measure a lot of the maps and the setups and compare them directly to one another. And what's very fascinating is that the three middle objectives that are used for both Sabotage Showdown and Shifting Priorities are in the exact same location, which is huge because not only does this directly mitigate the cause or the concerns rather of terrain, But it also means that your general strategy of how you're planning on getting your units to the midline stays the same, which, depending on your point of view, can be exciting or a little redundant. Either way, there is some familiarity here without the mission being too jarring from shifting priorities. Well said. Yeah, so that's a great place to start. I'm on just keep in mind that that midline, as in that one, two, and three left, middle, and right points are exactly the same, but now that bottom line and that top line actually changed dramatically. And I think this is a mod is what you're getting to, which is deployment is a little bit different on this. It's it's actually less telegraphed, actually, because of this objective setup of your backline, right? Of the backline points, right? That's a really good point, Jesse. I'm glad you brought that up. So for shifting priorities, the furthest objectives from you were range four from the backline and your deployment edge. Now they're range five. So if you take a ruler and you measure the distance between range four and range five, there is a two inch difference. So in theory, it's actually harder to get to the back points for your opponent. And it's harder for your opponent as well. But if the way that you'd want to think about it holistically is that your objectives are two inches closer to the opponent and their objectives are two inches further from you. Okay, that's a good start. That's a good way to frame it. 
And so how, how is this going to affect our deployment? Because that part actually matters a lot for like getting further in the struggle when I'm on talking about the distance, but inversely deploying initially, which we're talking about, we're doing right now. If we're visualizing through theater of the mind where we are in our game, you know, I'm on and I rolled priority. We selected this and you just mentioned you're deploying now, Amon, right? Something I've learned through playing a lot of Sabotage Showdown, and I'm curious if you have too, we've already alluded to in Shifting Priorities, you're deploying right between those. If you want to lock everything down, you're deploying right between those two side points in the middle. Shifting Priorities, you have a little bit more options. You you can actually deploy both squads a lot more centrally if you want to. And in fact, sometimes it, it just works well that way. I agree, 100%. But you could also deploy one fairly centrally and one a little bit more dominating a, dominating a side, if you will. Keep in mind things like pawns even enables this even more, right? So there's it's not like there's a rule for everything. I'm just it's a trend I've noticed, and I think it will kind of frame some of our discussion today, especially when you're talking about getting that midline. Correct. Yes. And so what's really interesting is that when you are deploying for sabotage showdown, you're only ever going to have a maximum of two objectives that you can control or contest at the beginning of a game versus shifting priorities where you would have three, right? However, it's a lot easier to get from objective to objective. And what you'll find often, which I think is very fascinating, is that a single advance can take you from one side, so the outer objectives to the inner objectives and vice versa, which I think is extremely exciting because it allows you to capitalize on out of activation dashes and out of activation advances which is really great for minis who are on those smaller bases 100 percent, no absolutely and it also makes like anything that gives movement outside of that model's turn like i'm on saying out of activation in any form whether it's during your turn during your turn during your opponent's turn whatever it be contesting is always at risk right which is very exciting as you mentioned i'm on but i think there's a prime time for us to talk about Another key difference with this set, before we actually get into the shapes of Struggle 1, which we've already been alluding to, but there is a key difference with this set, which we didn't have with the first set, which was these these new Shatterpoint tactic abilities. Yes, absolutely. And the last thing I'd like to say before we move on to that is that if you are in the center objective in Sabotage Showdown and you have a standard base or a small base, you can move to within contesting range of any outer objective with one single advance, which is crazy. That's massively different and new. Yes. You cannot do that in shifting priorities. Yeah. Well said. Absolutely. Well said. Well, let's talk about these tactics now because we didn't have these in shifting priorities and I'm glad we didn't because let's be fair. Shifting priorities was the first objective set of the game. Clarity's sake, getting new people into the game, getting on the basics and fundamentals of your characters was more important, but now we have options, right? I'm on when we use the shadow point card. Absolutely. So there are three that are shared in sabotage. Showdown. And these are reused throughout each set of struggles. So struggle one, struggle two, and struggle three all have one card that has one of these particular rules on them. So how these work is that when a unit is shatterpointed or activated via the shatterpoint card, they gain a free tactics ability that they can use at the start of the unit's activation. So the three are regroup, stick to the plan, and press forward. Regroup is at the start of this unit's activation, again, the unit that's shatterpointed, it may remove two damage or one condition from itself. The other one is stick to the plan. At the start of this unit's activation, refresh a single force. 
and then press forward at the start of this unit's activation, each character in this unit may dash. So what this allows you to do, it gives you some additional flexibility that you can utilize and take advantage of when you're shatter pointing, which is arguably a very big moment in the game for either you or your opponent, where you get to either reactivate one of your big heavy hitters or maybe make a really cool play that you maybe didn't think was possible without the addition of these free tactics abilities, right? Maybe your character is strained and has three damage on them and regroup allows you to heal to or remove the strain, which I'd probably just remove the strain, which can then allow you to make a move or a dash with a character that maybe wasn't an option in shifting priorities. Same with stick to the plan. Maybe you rush a force, which allows you to spend that force to make a dash or move someone else or get that Vader's advance or make an attack or whatever. And then press forward, again, is a dash in itself. So a lot of opportunity and a lot of random pairings that can occur, which can help put you in some really cool situations. But be wary because your opponent can do the same thing. No, absolutely. I also think it puts a lot of power on the Shatterpoint card, too, especially when it's drawed late, which I think is already a strong... Mm time to get the shadow point card in your deck you're you feel lucky and it's nice but i think some i think some of these effects are so powerful that maybe with this objective set people are more willing to throw their shadow point card back right because now there is a very active plan where it's like oh man when my mace goes he's actually going to dash twice he's going to dash from this card and he's going to dash from his card maybe i want to save that not as my first activation of the game we'll save that for later right so there's a lot of things that happen through this tactic it just presents you more questions and more opportunities and more way to surprise your opponent right so i absolutely love that so amon already said these are the tactic abilities they're going to be on struggles one two and three respectively they're the same abilities you know what's going to happen is when you flip struggle struggles two and three onward you're going to get a new shape and you're going to get one of these abilities right so you got to play a bunch of Sabotage Showdown to see all the combinations, right? But let's talk about Struggle 1, Amon. And, you know, we've alluded to the distance to your opponent's things. But we've also alluded to the distance of your back two points that are closest to your deployment. How they're closer. You can centrally deploy. And let's get all pretense out of the way. Struggle 1, very easy to remember because all three active shapes are the same shape. The differences between these and struggle one is you get the different tactic shatter point abilities, but all the active objective shapes are exactly the same, which is that round donut shape. Exactly. And they, they alluded to this AMG and they mentioned that the struggle to them felt like a donut of death. And it's absolutely correct. Struggle one, the center middle objective will never be active. So you're literally fighting for the donut, which is very interesting because unlike shifting priorities, shifting priorities kind of wants both players to surge to the middle fight and then maybe spread out and then come back in. Whereas Sabotage Showdown is encouraging players to start on the outskirts of the engagement before diving in. No, I agree. And picking up right with that point, Mon, I think it's worth mentioning. We know with this objective set, struggle one is the center is never active and you're always around it. And struggle two in this set, there's a two out of three chance that the middle is going to be active and very important and very central to the fight. So you actually go back in for struggle two. And then struggle three is where it gets really crazy because it could go completely wide two out of three, or it could go back to the center again 
for the third option. And we'll get to those when we get to those struggles. I just want to visualize, as Amon was kind of mentioning, it is the direct inverse of shifting priorities. Shifting priorities is in, out, back in, right? This one kind of flips that on its head. And to be fair, there is a little bit of nuance there, but I think you're absolutely correct, Jesse. And so for struggle one, I think the board setup is namely the same, where you're going to want to be able to perhaps be on the outskirts of each objective, right? So that you can have an easier time getting to those that far right and the far left, that semicircle half point before meeting your opponent at those points and then fighting for their back points and so on and so forth. So it allows you to deploy a little bit more widely. You could also, in theory, deploy someone close to one of the starting objectives near you and eventually you could have a single unit contesting both of those back points what i like to do often a lot is park my two arfs back there because it gives them a wide area effect for their exposed coordinated fire but also keeps them a little bit protected of course your opponent can get to you if they really want to but you could in theory have a single unit hold down those two back points for you while remaining fairly close to one another. No, absolutely. And I think you're going to touch on something that we're going to pick up more on the end, but we can talk about it now, Amon, which I think is very fascinating with this objective. Struggle one, you know, it is this donut of death. It is this like carousel shape, but you've already touched on a, a touchstone of this, which I think is very interesting. And we're kind of only still seeing the beginnings of ranged units and the way they interact with this differently from shifting priorities. And in fact, even clones, which might be the worst range unit in the game, right? We can probably safely say that at the moment and how they can be safer on this objective, um, depending on your deployment, depending on where you park them, like Amon said. And they can contest multiple objectives at once, potentially, while shooting from safety. And I think that's very cool and very different. Yeah, I love the word you use, safe there. I don't know if it's safe for any clone to be on any Star Wars Shatterpoint board. No, look at their defense dice. But range units are definitely a different spot in this objective for sure correct in this mission pack for sure it definitely feels like if you can set up a ranged unit in a position where they maybe aren't super threatened they actually have a ton of options it's less linear than shifting priorities by design of course but i think it's really neat in that some of the coordinated fire bubbles you can also create or some of the bubbles for the separatists can be more effective when trying to position units because everything is much more compact it's closer everything is just an advance away sometimes on a big base a dash away right depending on where you started oh 100% and also like if you are running a gun line of any type or even maybe a heavier gun line list like a list that's say running the padme box right which is all guns with whatever else you bring to the squad as amon said with the coordinated fires same goes for your firing range and arcs right you can really overlap your cones we don't refer to cones a lot on the show there's no firing arcs or cones in this game per se like other miniatures games but obviously you have a range of influence with your range attacks right so with this shape you can set up multiple ranges of influence with cones of shots right i'm on you can kind of set people on the back line and cover all aspects of the fight up to the midline and even beyond right if you really want to right there's games i've had like you mentioned my arfs contesting these back two points right but their range of influence is actually extending past the midline with their guns as they score my back two points which are active this entire struggle absolutely correct what's going on struggle two then okay so struggle two is super interesting jesse mentioned earlier that unlike shifting priorities there is a 33.3 percent chance that the center objective will not light up now what i do appreciate about struggle two is that both options as the loser of struggle one gets to select 
are fairly mirrored. In fact, it's pretty fair and you can plan and expect to have a plan in theory for any of these one outcomes. But really it's it's just we start on the edges and we come back in. And there's two ways in which this kind of functions. Effectively, two out of the three struggles that include the center point are effectively a curved line going down the middle of the map. Yep. One is a little bit more curvy, while one is a little bit more straight. But at the end of the day, it's one point on that's closest to your opponent, the center point, and then one point closest to you. And that's the best way to describe it. And if you're piloting a list that's very melee-centric, then you probably want those because just one advance away and then slap somebody. With some characters like Grievous or Vader who can double advance, it makes it to where they can kind of get from one side of the board to the other quite easily, which is very fascinating. This also makes it to where pins and strains are more relevant on this map than perhaps shifting priorities because the impact is felt immediately, right? Now, struggle... I suppose 2.3, or they're jamming our comps, is the name of that one, Yep, is the one where it's a little bit more spread out and I think favored for the person picking the struggle in that you're going yeah. to get either the far left or the far right and then one objective closest to you and one in your opponent's side with the objective closest to you being directly next to either the far right or the far left. So it does give you a little bit of an advantage there, and that's something maybe you can try to set up for. But if you look at the map, the bottom left objective is always active, no matter which struggle is picked, which is super interesting. Right. And the same cannot be said for the top objective. On 66.6% of them, or two out of the three, it's the left top, and then one of them, it's the right top. But for all three, it's the bottom left is always active. Right. And what's also crazy, Amon, this kind of picks up on the point we just talked about with the range units. You kind of always want to have your back two points from struggle one always covered. Mm -hmm. Always. Because when you're going to struggle two, one of these points is going to be active. It doesn't matter what it is. And I do want to talk about this 2.3 you mentioned. This is a very different shape. This is kind of the curveball of the group. We went from squiggly lines, like you mentioned before, to an acute triangle shape. Though this is not a broken triangle, like the one I, I don't enjoy at all on shifting priorities, which is oh, the yeah. two in your... I think it's the worst design objective in the game, but that's just my thoughts. It makes games go to struggle three. This one actually is a triangle, you know, on its side, right? So it's a lot more fair than the two in your opponent's deployment. But that one's the curveball. You just never know. If that one's going to happen, it's going to happen. But as you said, even if you get that one, yes, the middle is not active. It's strange. But those bottom points by your deployment, one of them will still be active on either side. But I like what you mentioned that they threw that crazy chaos in there of the left side being favored. Yeah, it's very fascinating. And again, it obviously depends on your perspective, you know, if you're player one or player two, but try to keep that in mind if you're planning for a struggle two, especially if you're losing struggle one, which leads me into my next point. So how do you set up for struggle two? Because in shifting priorities... You kind of can because it's always the center one plus some other stuff going on, but it really depends on what's going on, right? And in general, I would say that you need to plan more when you're losing the first struggle. And if you are, I would really try to make sure that you have at least one point secure on each end. And that's going to get you in a spot where you have an ability to quickly pivot to whichever one is the active one. You know, also maybe you can get lucky and make the decision 
for yourself a little easier, or even if you are winning struggle one harder for your opponent. And just to clarify, when you say each end, you mean top and bottom? Correct. Yeah. So if you're looking at the objectives, there's two up top in the top row, there's two in the bottom row, and there's three in the middle row. I would have, regardless of orientation, one in the top row and one on the bottom row from your perspective. And try to make sure that you go for, if you're player one, the bottom left, or if you're player two, the top right every single time, because that one is always active. Yeah, you've got to have a secure, right? So Because it's going to flip over and it's going to happen. Also, you can probably bank on the middle being active, right? Two out of three. It's a pretty good chance the middle is going to be active. And this is, all, this is also where those characters that want to be in the middle really come online, right? It's struggle two. I'm looking at someone like Mace who would not actually love struggle one of Sabotage Showdown, but struggle two, if we do get that middle, he's very happy, right? So keep that stuff in mind as well. Now, also, Amon, with these shatter points, I think they're going to even matter more in this struggle. And they have mattered more in this struggle, in my experience. Shatter point tactics. It definitely adds an additional flair. In most of my games, I'll be honest, it hasn't really been game-breaking or game-defining. But I would say that maybe like one in every five to six games, something cool has happened. It could like win a struggle, right? Correct. And I've seen it to be used by great effect by both myself and, of course, my opponents as well, who are just taking a moment to scan the board, think of every option, and then saying, oh, yeah, because I can either refresh a force or get a dash or remove a condition or damage off myself. This enables me to do something that I wasn't able to do in the previous game state. Well said. Absolutely. So let's talk about something while we're in these still these first two struggles. Let's talk about this interesting game state that I think happens in Sabotage Showdown that happens less maybe in Shifting Priorities, which is this two players both scoring three. It's a stalemate. It's a def- it's two castles, right, at each other, and someone has to break the siege, right? Someone has to break the castle. So how do we do that, Amon, and how do we maybe do that to win struggle one or even to like set up for struggle two? Because honestly, if you're both playing the game right, you're deploying where you get your both back two points immediately. Player one is immediately going to grab a midline point, right? Player two is immediately going to grab a midline point. So what are we at now? We're at a three to three game state. Yeah. I still think that the second player is advantaged because in general, the first player will go either left or right, and then player two can either choose to fight for that same objective, thus pushing them off that objective, or going for the opposite point. What I've seen work to great effect in my personal experiences, whether it's used against me or utilized by me, is for whatever reason, if my opponent is on an objective prior to me on one of the left or right sides, I will attempt to take a unit that has a very early shove on the tree and just hopefully get them off. Terrain and or poor positioning can be taken advantage of by you against your opponent. But at the end of the day, whoever gets there first is also probably going to be the first to get shoved off. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. So that can help you break the stalemate is what you're saying. Yeah. And then, of course, if you're going for an attrition style play, Or if you have some fast-moving units, what you can do is you can leave your back objectives unguarded to swarm the side objectives. Now, keep in mind, it's only one advance away, right? So if you're not outzoning your opponent to deny a single advance range to just walk back onto a point that you left unguarded, then I think you can be in a really good spot. And a lot of that comes down to hard-hitting pieces or pieces that just synergize very well off one another. 
So Separatists and Mandalorians come to mind in terms of just moving very rapidly and often and getting a lot of attacks in, at least from the Separatist perspective, or just playing some hard-hitting melee characters. Obviously, we know in Star Wars Shatterpoint, melee is king, especially because we are playing with a majority of units from the Republic era. Yeah. Or Fall of the Jedi Order era, in which most characters, a ton of Sith and ton of Jedi, walking around with lightsabers, slapping each other. So I think that certainly helps. Obviously, the rightfully feared Grievous Vader list on this map is pretty gnarly as well, because you can just double advance with either one of them and slap something off the map, which is pretty cool. But I think those are some things to keep in mind when operating from struggle one into struggle two. And again, setting up for struggle to just take a look at the objectives that you know pop up a lot. And when in doubt, try to have one, at least one on either side, and then maybe go for the middle one, because 66.6% of the time you will be rewarded for that. You had to start piling on, right? And just set up for the struggle. So this struggle is interesting, Amon. So we don't have the three versus three scoring. We just have the three points, you know, which should be familiar to shifting priority players, but now the scoring involves the priority objective. Which, again, is a interesting concept that is in Shatterpoint. I think you either love it or you hate it. Either way, you have to abide by it. And it can either help you snowball into a quick struggle to win or a slow struggle to grindy matchup, depending on where it lands. Whenever I play, it often lands in the same spot three times, and it's not where I want it to be. So Exactly. It can be quite infuriating. But again, the idea here is to focus your efforts on those points and really just outzone your opponent. And yeah. this is where I think melee becomes stronger. You know, in shifting priorities, you often want a team that can hold the down and play defensive for you while another one rushes to the midline. And then that way, your team in the back kind of manages back to middle. And then your aggressive team goes middle to top or middle to front. But with this one, it becomes interesting because you mentioned earlier, right? Ranged is great in struggle one. Yeah. I think it actually struggles a little bit more in struggle two because you dive back in and it becomes a bit more compact. Yeah, especially two two out of these three shapes, right? Where they probably don't want to be as much, which are the straight lines, right? These up and down highways Amon was talking about for these melee characters to cut through people like butter. So yeah, the ranged models are going to struggle a little bit more here, but if you've got your heavy hitter kind of centrally located, hopefully they can take a lot of the, if anything, the keeping models engaged with them, right? And lock down while your range units can shoot. But yeah, I think struggle two is very interesting in this Amon because struggle one was such a different shape and now we're kind of just narrowing it down really quickly. And we did mention in the struggle, the player who did lose struggle one does get to choose the deployment, right? Which is massive. That actually goes away in struggle three, which is new to this concept of this set as well. I'm really glad you brought that up and an excellent segue. So a big change when compared to shifting priority is the loser of struggle two does not get to pick the layout. They have no agency in the way that the board is set up for struggle three, which is very fascinating, right? Because often if you can pick the layout, your chances of winning improve. And I'd like to give a quick shout out to the fifth trooper for posting some good math stats on this, right? I don't want to take credit for their math stats here, but in an evenly matched game, and I'm quoting them here, of shifting priorities, assuming each struggle is a 50-50 coin flip, it tells you that the winner of struggle one should win the game 75% of the time. 
if you assume getting to choose between the two layouts increases the odds to 60-40 in your favor, then first player would win 76% of the time. Maintaining those assumptions for Sabotage Showdown, a 60-40 struggle 2 and a 50-50 struggle 3 would have the winner of the first struggle winning the game only 70% of the time. So that is a 6% difference. Now, obviously, winning struggle one is huge for Star Wars Shatterpoint. It's helpful. We all know that. We've all been in positions where it kind of takes the pressure off losing struggle two. Yeah. Whereas if you lose struggle one, you have to win struggle two or you're out, right? Yeah. Now, we've all also been in games where we've lost struggle one, won struggle two, and won struggle three. And yes. did the, you know, the reverse. So you can beat those odds, but I find those numbers to be very interesting. And I don't know outside of maybe the math that they're using on how they're backing that up. But I assume that's a lot of Longshanks data and maybe some personal experience as well. But I think it's quite fascinating. And so I appreciate the Fifth Trooper for posting that article and sharing that mathematic information. But yeah, let's talk about Struggle 3 as a whole. Yeah. So we've already talked about now you can't pick the deployment. You just get what you get. So let's talk about things you actually get with the shape. So you get a horizontal line right down the midline, which if there's nothing more straightforward than that, I don't know what is more straightforward than that in Shatterpoint. And the other two are, act- are actually equilateral triangles where they're just flipped, which it's going to be a side point and then a top point and a bottom point and a side point and top point and bottom point flipped, mirrored, right? So once again, you're either getting the entire midline or you're getting kind of like a ghost of struggle one with this triangle shape. Yeah, it's very interesting, actually. One of the side points are always going to go active. It's either left, right, or both. Yep. So when prepping for struggle three, try to have both side points if you can. Helpful. Super helpful, right? Otherwise, I guess hedge your bets and try to hope that it lands in the two-thirds chance that it's going to have, again, that's tried and true strategy of one in the top, one in the middle, one in the bottom. Yeah. I will say I've gotten the straight line quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so trying to get someone on the side is nice, but the loser of struggle two, I think, is at a disadvantage when it comes to struggle three. Yeah. Because in theory, if you're winning struggle two, you're in a game state where you're advantaged, right? Because you're fighting over some of the similar points. So losing struggle two actually hurts your chances of winning struggle three, but not significantly enough to take away perhaps the advantage of struggle one winner winning the game based on the math we shared earlier. But I still think it's quite an interesting conundrum because you lose the agency. That's the benefit of losing the struggle. It's so fascinating. I really enjoyed a lot. I I really enjoy how these nine shapes, you know, really struggle one's one shape, you know what I mean? These nine different cards can play out Shatterpoint in a very different way from shifting priorities, right? And a big part of it is that momentum Amon's talking about. Momentum of winning the game, quite literally, and the momentum of the rule set around momentum, and the way these things kind of ebb and flow through these shapes, right? Then you add the layer of the tactic ability of the Shatterpoint, right? Which really could top off a character or get them in position to maybe just close the game out, right? And you've got a very different mission set on our hands, Amon. I think so. And I think this comes down to like how you plan on playing the game, right? Yeah. 
And we talked about how you can kind of win the advantage. You mentioned the 3-3 and how to break that stalemate to go to 4-2 to win struggle one. And there's a lot of ways that you can go about doing that. You can be really aggressive, you can be really risky, or you can be more conservative. But I think what's really cool about Sabotage Showdown is that it really rewards characters with great movement. Characters like Vader, Grievous, Maul, Django, Mandalorians, Separatists. Which is really interesting because my initial hot take was I thought Separatists were going to struggle a bit more on Sabotage Showdown. I believe I stand corrected in that characters or units or teams that have a lot of out of activation movement or are fast are advantage on Sabotage Showdown. Yeah, it's so fascinating, right? Because I agree with that sentiment, but at the same time, Mandos and droids in particular who kind of want to be spread out over the map and like pick fights, they can't do that now. It's true, but what they can do instead is they can reinforce one another at a moment's notice. That's true. Right. It's massive for these droids and Mandos that can dash all over the place, right? Exactly. And there's more incentive to take characters like Bo and Gar now. Like oftentimes you would see Bo and Django taken, but now throw Gar back in because at the beginning of Gar and Bo's turn, there's a tactics ability where a Mandalorian character can jump, right? And we've talked about how if you're at max distance from one point to another, it can help you get to help contest other spots, which I think is very fascinating and oftentimes can completely ruin your opponent's game plan. You know, like, let's say you take out a character and then they activate Bo and then Bo and another character jump on the point that their opponent just stoked from you. Now you have three characters on the point, right? Even though one is wounded, you're still beating them two to one. I mean, it's incredible. You can do that obviously with separatists and things like that, but I think lists that are fast agile is probably the best term I can think of, are really going to reward you. And this is super important in struggle three, because you have no agency if you lose, right? So how do you get to the zip and zip around to the points you need to, unless you have characters that can do that? Now, conversely, you're thinking, well, what if I want characters that rely on bubbles? This is where the separatist edge, I think is double-edged saber here, because I think bubbles are worse on sabotage showdown, but separatists can get around it because they can move so much. But like Mace, for example, I think it's terrible on Sabotage Showdown. He loves being in the center point and shifting priorities. Sure. Yeah, he does. Obviously, you have characters like, again, evergreen characters that are like Maul, Grievous, Django, and Vader who can just do great on both. But like even example, Talzin. I think Talzin is better on shifting priorities than she is on Sabotage Showdown. Right, because she's actually getting more influence on her bubbles even though the bubble is wider in that objective, right? As in the bubble of the map, excuse me. You would initially think, oh, shifting priorities is so tight-knit, Talzin has a wide reach, right? But she actually gets focus-fired a lot, too, with this. And this is where that strength I was telling you of range units on this, especially Struggle 1. Some range units, like even clones, who are not the best, but I mean, they actually have more life on this objective because they're planning on scoring you that back point, those back two points, Struggle 1, and being ready to be their struggle too, because one will be active, right? And they can more safely shoot from range, like I mentioned earlier. And yeah, they're not safe from Grievous or Vader or something like that, right? But they're also doing something, Abman. They're doing something in the game as opposed to shifting priorities where, well, they scored me round one on the bottom of the snake, right? And now they're trying to get to the fight and struggle too, and they're not quite there yet, right? So there's so many routes you can take this. And I don't know, let's mention some notable characters that have kind of maybe performed or not performed in some of our games on Sabotage Showdown and what we've learned from that. Yeah, I think that's a great segue and, and a great topic to discuss. I mean, first and foremost, you know, 
Ahsoka Jedi no more. She's been a rock star for me on Sabotage Showdown. Similar concepts to Maul, right? Extremely so, but the fact that she has out of activation advances. Even cooler, yeah. Even cooler, because whether you're taking Republic lists with her, or you're taking, maybe you're going for, you know, Clan Kree's Mandalorians and Ahsoka and Barris. That's my list, what I'm running a lot. And I'm running that for the Hello There League. Like, they're not necessarily tanky characters. I mean, even the Clan Kree's Mandalorians can go down, but you're taking the Clan Kree's because of their early shoves and Barris because of her push. But it also, because if they get wounded, Ahsoka can just walk up to where they were and your opponent still doesn't get the point. I had this really cool example where my opponent was playing Anakin and it was like they either took out my ARFs or they tried to take out Ahsoka, but they probably weren't going to take out Ahsoka because I can half damage. And if they take out the one ARF there, Ahsoka just moves towards the ARF and still contests the point. So Ahsoka pretty much locked my opponent's Anakin out of the game pretty much, right? It was damned if you do, damned if you don't. And I think that's a niche example, but that was like the first time where the Matrix kind of unfolded in my mind. And I was like, wow, Ahsoka is awesome on this map. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. So out of activation movement might be one of our highest tenets in this objective. 100%. I mean, another great list is the all Mando list. I mean, this is a list that we pioneered and we... Yes, we did promoted for the longest time at the beginning of the game start and then we both moved away from it obviously you know as content creators we have to explore the breadth of the game and the units that are provided but that list is stronger on sabotage showdown than it is on shifting priorities terrain depending of course if you get a if you get a really great high elevation terrain map that's spread on shifting priorities mandos might even love that more case permitting right like a nice Ewok village or something, right? With a bunch of trees. Yeah, but I agree with what you're saying, Amon, especially the concept of actually leaning on Bo and Gar together and what they bring with their bubbles. Exactly. It's the first time I've just thought about, you know what? I think Gar is actually better than Django. <laughs> That's wild. But he is on this mission for that particular strategy. Well, and he's bringing the thing I mentioned earlier, which is he's bringing the tactics ability. Oh, of course, he's bringing the tax ability, which is amazing because you're just always going to reposition. But I was going to say he's bringing consistent long range attacks where he can mm. just reach any part of the donut from where he's at, right? Yeah. And, and pin and shove people at will, right? Meanwhile, moving his allies up the board and scoring, right? So I do think that leads into our next topic, Mon, which is nothing's changed. Diceless displacement is still amazing on this, just like it is on shifting priorities, right? And in some ways, on certain struggle shapes, it could be even better than shifting priorities, right? Because it could be that key moment that shifts it back, especially when I mentioned earlier that castling situation, the three versus three, right? Well, if you've got a guaranteed diceless displacement, a Barris, a Django, a Maul, something like that, right? Where you just push or shove someone off or pull someone off. Well, now the stalemate's been broken, right? Without any dice being rolled, right? So that's actually important too. So it adds another layer. Correct. It's super interesting, man. I think I've been having a lot of fun with Sabotage Showdown. And I think Force Push is another great tool. Of course. Obviously, it's awesome on shifting priorities, but it feels more impactful on Sabotage Showdown just because everything feels a little bit more compact. So if you really get a character out of position, it's much harder for them to recover. And earlier, you mentioned something about Republic, right? Like Republic is often much maligned and and a lot of people have come to experience the struggle that is playing with Republic supporting units. However... Sabotage Showdown does help them a little bit because they can set up some great coordinated fire bubbles. Absolutely. Which is a good feeling. 
being a republic primary here player and i mean let's face it you are a republic primary as well oh me you had a Freudian slip earlier where you said i'm a republic primary i mean player and i'm like well they're both right i'll take it hopefully i'm not one of the ones that needs a buff, but I think it gives them an interesting play pattern among which I mentioned, which they didn't have in shifting priorities, especially as a Republic, because frankly, you're kind of slow. You can't catch up with the rest of the squad is you can actually stay put and you can shoot and you can score back points and you can score back points on the next objective flip as well and feel like you're impacting the game because the whole time you're contributing your coordinated fires. 100%. So I love that. I absolutely love that. And, you know, stocks up for Miss Padme and her girls because... Those coordinated fires and stuff, and her bubble is actually more contained and more manageable with her bodyguards and with her faith and diplomacy, right? So you can do that as well. Yeah, so not to forget Sabe's dash as well, which yeah, it's pretty powerful on this map. I will mention a primary real quick, Amon, that's been interesting to me, and I don't know if this is just me piloting this character or if it's legitimately really good. I think it is. I think Luminara likes this objective way better than shifting priorities, and I'll explain this because... I think our initial take with Luminara, because you and I have played so much of her, and I continue to play a lot of her, and I've played her a lot on this objective, was, oh, she owns a side point. She defensively holds it, right? She totally does that in shifting parties. That's fine, right? And her identity is very powerful, right? Well, nothing's changed. That's still what she does. But I think her identity is even more powerful in this objective, because now those swings happen more often, especially when you wound models and you get the free dashes, right? Well, Amon already mentioned to you, listener, earlier about how efficient and how close everything is. Everything's just a dash away from taking, right? So quite frequently with Luminara, let's say you're running Mace Lumi, right? Or Vader Lumi, right? Or something like that. And you wound a model with Mace or Vader. Well, you might've just gotten a two point swing because Mace took over that point and Lumi pushed someone up on the other side and took that point just because our identity is that good. <laughs> and I should think wounding's happening a lot on this too. So Lemmy's other part of identity is happening a lot. And maybe, I don't know, you'll use the force heal. No, I agree. Lemmy's is great. And I think obviously she does well in the all Mando Ma Lumi list, but she's also the perfect candidate to hold that back point. In most variations of your experience on this map, whether it goes to struggle two or one, there's always going to be an active point on your like closest objective line to you. And Lumi can just sit there and tank it because her identity is global. She doesn't need to be within range. And if she's in a pickle or she ever finds herself isolated, you can always spend that two force for that full heal, which you don't really have to do often. But the threat of it alone is enough to deter your opponent from going for her. So, and let's not forget at the end of the day, she can hit you decently hard with her lightsaber. So Lumi's a great one for sure. And, and one I think slow. people have been sleeping on a lot. But her being slow isn't a bad thing because all you need is the force dash. No, and what's great about this subjective is it actually helps out Republic primaries a lot in my experience because if you do get the dash tactic, I already alluded to earlier, okay, my mace is double dashing now. My Lumi's dashing at the start of her activation, but she still has access to her force dash, right? So it actually helps a lot of the Jedi primaries that maybe might get left behind from the faster Vader's and Grievous's out there in the world. That, of course, is all contingent on if you drew that shatter point, right? But inversely, Republic really struggles with force management in a huge way. The force refresh for them is also huge. And I found that to be really fun with them and really helpful. Of course, your opponent has it as well. So it is an even trade, but it feels more apparent with Republic because they are slower and they never have enough force, right? So if I get one of those, I'm pretty happy with them is what I'm saying. So 
there's a lot of layers to it, right? There's a lot of nuance and interactions that you're, you're going to see after playing a bunch of games. I concur. And I think that kind of pretty much wraps up like the struggle and the mission pack as a whole. Yep. I think we've talked about how maybe some of your approaches are and how you can break those stalemates. We've talked about setting up for the objectives, at least the active ones, and how you can plan for them in between struggles. And so the question that I have to ask you, Jesse, is after experimenting with Sabotage Showdown, as someone who is generally competitively minded, do you think you're going to gravitate more towards Sabotage Showdown or are you going to stick with shifting priorities? What a great question. At the moment, it's leaning on the latter. I think just because I know shifting priorities so well and it's it works from my play style. Though I'm actually actively enjoying Sabotage Showdown more, I don't know if it's just the the newness of it all, right? And the and these tactic abilities. But I think, especially when we get our third objective one day, I think the list definition will be more locked with objectives. Does that make sense? But I think right now you kind of have to have a plan for both. And my initial plan is to play shifting priorities with the lists I'm playing, but be completely ready for Sabotage Showdown because it seems like a lot of people like it. And since I'm not playing like or Grievous or something like that, or maybe a heavy melee list. I've been trying to stay away from Sabotage Showdown, but all that flipping on its head, I have been playing droids lately on Sabotage Showdown and having a lot of fun. And it does feel very different from droids on shifting priorities. And I kind of second what Amon said, where the droids are very exposed. They're, they are going to take more damage straight up than a shifting priorities game. But you might also just score two struggles very quickly, like Amon said, just dashing as much as possible right and taking that struggle so the answer is tough because it's list dependent but i think for me as a play style i'm going to lean on shifting priorities as the type of player i am which is a more defensive player but what about you amon yeah no i think that was a great answer and i think there's a lot of good points specifically regarding separatists i mean magna guards are insane on sabotage showdown <laughs> they're insane in general though but on sabotage showdown i played grievous the other day with magna guards all droids and you know grievous is Maybe one of his best parts of his card is after he attacks, the droids get to attack next to him, right? That is a huge swing on type of Sabotage Showdown because maybe now the Magnus have just pushed someone off another point. It's kind of the example I gave earlier, that two-point swing with Lumi. You can do that with Grievous, right? <laughs> it's crazy. No, it's <laughs> not. Shove City with Magna Guards. That's right. Yeah. No, that's a cool anecdote. So I think for a competitively minded player, I think the benefit would be sticking to shifting priorities because Agreed. there's more agency when you lose a struggle. And of course, you can plan for it better. And there are no Shatterpoint tactics abilities that add an additional level, an element of randomness or what competitive players like to call things they can't control. That's right. Because competitive players like to control as much as they can and play the best game that they can within the bounds of said environment however what i've really enjoyed about sabotage showdown is the innovation that can occur when playing the game and i think for me as a player that is the most stimulating because i can think of outs and i can think of cool things that maybe just aren't physically possible on shifting priorities you know i've used this example already but there was this really cool moment where i had a strained character and I would never shatter point them because they're strained and it would have killed them. But because I could remove a condition off them and or heal them, I was able to make a really cool play that helped ended up make making me win the struggle, which was really, really cool. And I would have never had that experience 
on shifting priorities. And so when I list build for future events, I think another thing that players can keep in mind of is that if you have a good list for shifting priorities, you probably have a good list for Sabotage Showdown. And I think that's where some of the criticism has arisen when it's come to this mission pack is that at the end of the day, you can play the same stuff and do well. That's true. I would argue that you could play the best stuff on any mission. Let's say there's 10 missions packs, you know, two or three years from now, and you would probably do well on all 10. However, I think what's fun is revisiting older units or older lists that I used to play and re-sparking that joy and that fun, but then also trying new stuff, right? And I think if you are a diehard Separatist player, for example, and if you are winning on shifting priorities, you should do even better on Sabotage Showdown in theory. In theory, absolutely. Also, Dooku's like in the fight on this. (laughs) Yeah, that's another great point. He got separated before, right? On shifting priorities, he got left behind, like I mentioned. That's his one weakness, right? Is he's slow. Sometimes he gets left behind. Not so much the case here for Dooku. (laughs) So it's great. It's great. Oh, man. Oh, all great points, Amon. So it seems you and I are falling on the same point here where maybe if you are a more competitive-minded player, you lean on shifting priorities a little bit more, but you're always ready for Sabotage Showdown and you're excited to play it because I agree with you too. I do feel like it's a little bit more stimulating and I do feel like it's a little bit more innovative, right? And it lets me do more cool things to outplay my opponent. But at the same time, Maybe more attacks are happening, more variance is happening, right? And that could shift the game negatively, possibly, for a competitive-minded player. But it's definitely more fun. It just is. Yeah, I think so. And again, everyone has different definitions of fun. I think for me, the most important takeaway that I have is that I need to prepare for this mission because it is so popular. And in theory, it it actually tricks players into thinking it's more of a melee-oriented mission pack, but shifting priorities still is king for units that can isolate and fight one-on-one and win, like Vader and Grievous. But they obviously can do very well on Sabotage Showdown. But my biggest takeaway is that like, I'm throwing Mandos back in my list, in my premiere list, you know, like Maul, Lumi, Mandos is an awesome list. Good it works on both missions, right? As you just said. But now, or I feel like it gives me a great just team into this mission pack. So if I'm playing against an opponent who I know has Sabotage Showdown in their mission pack, you know, I can think, well, maybe I can just pick this squad just in case. I like that too. Also gives you insurance against like heavy melee lists too. If you it really does. want to get away from Vader. Wow. Well, let's shift the battlefield a little bit. Yeah. Now I will say the timing on choosing the mission, because again, strike teams are selected prior to the mission does, I think, stop some of the extended innovation you could have. A little stifling. Yeah. Because you could build these crazy lists that are amazing on just one mission and your whole game can develop on winning the priority role, right? Which is really fun and reminds me of another AMG game. However, (laughs) I do appreciate that they have made it less punishing. Yeah, and it seems like their stance on this game I'm on is turn zero is never going to be this game's thing, right? Like they want the meat of the game to be after models are on the table and moving on the table, right? Which is definitely not the case in some games. Like turn zero is kind of huge in some other games. Maybe that other game AMG makes. Indeed. So I think they they want the core of the cerebralness to be during actual gameplay, right? I and I do appreciate that. But to some people, that is a, a mark against Shatterpoint in their book, right? But for me, it's the opposite effect. It's scratching a different itch and 
it's really asking a lot of for me when I'm in the game, but a little bit less of me when I'm at turn zero. And I think that's good. It's just something that brings itself that's different. Well said, and I completely agree. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed this discussion about Sabotage Showdown. We hope you learned some tenets and some ideas and concepts you can start applying your games. And we're going to return to this concept and this topic in the future, right? Like we still got more games to get on our belt with this, but we've got a lot now and it's going to continue to grow. And let's all learn together. Let us know what you've learned about Sabotage Showdown and what's worked for you, what's not worked for you, what's been fun, what's not been fun. And as Amon said, it's just as a community, we've got to learn too, Amon, are the good things just good on both objectives too, right? And we're exploring that right now too. Yeah. And the answer is probably yes. Probably yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. More variation is fun because, you know, now at least in theory, it's guaranteed that if you go to a tournament, you're not playing shifting priorities three to four times. That's fun. You're sprinkling some sabotage showdown in between. Absolutely love it. Well, of course, you can find us several places online. You can become a patron, patreon.com slash cast. Of course, our patrons directly support us and get access to our private Discord community. You can find us on X, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch, all at the same place, at hellotherecast. If you ever need to email us or reach out via email, check us out at hellotherecast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts when you can. We did hit our goal on Spotify to hit over 100 reviews, but we're not stopping there on Spotify. We're getting more. But Apple Podcast, we do have a goal of hitting 100 five-star reviews, and that really help us out and spread the word of Shatterpoint to the greater community because things like reviews really do matter with visibility to the community at large and getting more people into this game, which is our goal. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the 109 reviews on Spotify. Hopefully, we can get 100 on Apple Podcasts. Absolutely. Of course, we have to thank Lowfield for our show's music. And you can find me and Mon several spaces online. We'd love to chat with you and check out our other projects. You can find me, Jesse, on X, Instagram, Longshanks, Discord, all the same place, at Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. Check out my show, Fury's Finest, about everything Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. We're doing a lot of fun stuff lately on Fury's Finest, discussing Asgard, which is one of my favorite places in Marvel. So check us out there mon where can everyone find you on x you can find me at a man who games everywhere else i'm some variation of a mon i too love asgard and i have been trying to make asgard work in mcp it has not been working much to my chagrin however you can also find me on my warhammer underworlds podcast called path to glory your number one source for competitive gaming player development and community growth in the mortal realms i'm sure you have some stuff to stay on there lately yeah it's been nice we'll give him on show a listen and we look forward to talking to you guys very soon on this very feed you know it is the holiday season and we know some people listen less during this time but we're not stopping and we got a lot of fun topics around shatterpoint to kind of lead us into the new year when apparently Amon we're getting vader and luke that's right vader and luke less than a, well about a month and a half away yeah which to be honest Holiday season flies by. It really does. Yeah. So I'm sure Amon will be on Vader and I'll be on Luke and we'll be getting you as much information as we can right out the gate about Rebels and Empire and what they look like. But until then, we're hoping to do everything we want to do, right? I'm on until then and like prep for that time and just get ready for the arrival of the Rebel Alliance and the Galactic Empire. I'm excited, man. It's a new era. Excited to crush the rebellion, baby. There it is. (laughs) I'm going to hold on to hope. Well, until next time, may the force be with you. So uncivilized.